Chapter thirty one of Peveril of the Peak by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. I fear the devil worst when gown and cassock, or in the lack of them, old Calvin's cloak conceals his cloven hoof. Anonymous julian peveril had scarce set sail for whitehaven when alice bridgenorth and her governant at the hasty command of her father were embarked with equal speed and secrecy on board of a bark bound for liverpool christian accompanied them on their voyage as the friend to whose guardianship alice was to be consigned during any future separation from her father and whose amusing conversation joined to his pleasing though cold manners as well as his near relationship induced alice in her forlorn situation to consider her fate as fortunate in having such a guardian at liverpool as the reader already knows christian took the first overt step in the villainy which he had contrived against the innocent girl by exposing her at a meeting-house to the unhallowed gaze of chiffinch in order to convince him she was possessed of such uncommon beauty as might well deserve the infamous promotion to which they meditated to raise her highly satisfied with her personal appearance chiffinch was no less so with the sense and delicacy of her conversation when he met her in company with her uncle afterwards in london the simplicity and at the same time the spirit of her remarks made him regard her as his scientific attendant the cook might have done a newly invented sauce sufficiently piquant in its qualities to awaken the jaded appetite of a cloyed and gorged epicure she was he said and swore the very cornerstone on which with proper management and with his instruction a few honest fellows might build a court fortune that the necessary introduction might take place the confederates judged fit she should be put under the charge of an experienced lady whom some called mistress chiffinch and others chiffinch's mistress one of those obliging creatures who are willing to discharge all the duties of a wife without the inconvenient and indissoluble ceremony it was one and not perhaps the least prejudicial consequence of the license of that ill-governed time that the bounds betwixt virtue and vice were so far smoothed down and levelled that the frail wife or the tender friend who was no wife did not necessarily lose their place in society but on the contrary if they moved in the higher circles were permitted and encouraged to mingle with women whose rank was certain and whose reputation was untainted a regular liaison like that of chiffinch and his fair one inferred little scandal and such was his influence as prime minister of his master's pleasures that as charles himself expressed it 
the lady whom we introduced to our readers in the last chapter had obtained a brevet commission to rank as a married woman and to do the gentle dame justice no wife could have been more attentive to forward his plans or more liberal in disposing of his income she inhabited a set of apartments called chiffinches the scene of many an intrigue both of love and politics and where charles often held his private parties for the evening when as frequently happened the ill-humour of the duchess of portsmouth his reigning sultana prevented his supping with her the hold which such an arrangement gave a man like chiffinch used as he well knew how to use it made him of too much consequence to be slighted even by the first persons in the state unless they stood aloof from all manner of politics and court intrigue in the charge of mistress chiffinch and one of him whose name she bore edward christian placed the daughter of his sister and of his confiding friend calmly contemplating her ruin as an event certain to follow and hoping to ground upon it his own chance of a more assured fortune than a life spent in intrigue had hitherto been able to procure for him the innocent alice without being able to discover what was wrong either in the scenes of unusual luxury with which she was surrounded or in the manners of her hostess which both from nature and policy were kind and caressing felt nevertheless an instinctive apprehension that all was not right a feeling in the human mind allied perhaps to that sense of danger which animals exhibit when placed in the vicinity of the natural enemies of their race and which makes birds cower when the hawk is in the air and beasts tremble when the tiger is abroad in the desert there was a heaviness at her heart which she could not dispel and the few hours which she had already spent at chiffinch's were like those passed in prison by one unconscious of the cause or event of his captivity it was the third morning after her arrival in london that the scene took place which we now recur to the impertinence and vulgarity of empson which was permitted to him as an unrivalled performer upon his instrument were exhausting themselves at the expense of all other musical professors and mrs chiffinch was listening with careless indifference when some one was heard speaking loudly and with animation in the inner apartment oh gemini and gillyflower water exclaimed the damsel startled out of her fine airs into her natural vulgarity of exclamation and running to the door of communication if he has not come back again after all and if old rowley a tap at the farther and opposite door here arrested her attention she quitted the handle of that which she was about to open as speedily as if it had burnt her fingers and moving back towards her couch asked who is there old rowley himself madam said the king 
entering the apartment with his usual air of easy composure oh criminy your majesty i thought that i was out of hearing doubtless said the king and spoke of me as folk speak of absent friends make no apology i think i have heard ladies say of their lace that a rent is better than a darn nay be seated where is chiffinch he is down at york house your majesty said the dame recovering though with no small difficulty the calm affectation of her usual demeanour shall i send your majesty's commands i will wait his return said the king permit me to taste your chocolate there is some fresh frothed in the office said the lady and using a little silver call or whistle a black boy superbly dressed like an oriental page with gold bracelets on his naked arms with a gold collar around his equally bare neck attended with the favourite beverage of the morning in an apparatus of the richest china while he sipped his cup of chocolate the king looked round the apartment and observing fenella peveril and the musician who remained standing beside a large indian screen he continued addressing mistress chiffinch though with polite indifference i sent you the fiddles this morning or rather the flute Empson, and a fairy elf whom i met in the park who dances divinely she has brought us the very newest saraband from the court of queen mab and i sent her here that you may see it at leisure your majesty does me by far too much honour said chiffinch her eyes properly cast down and her accents minced into becoming humility nay little chiffinch answered the king in a tone of as contemptuous familiarity as was consistent with his good breeding it was not altogether for thine own private ear though quite deserving of all sweet sounds but i thought nelly had been with thee this morning i can send bajazette for her your majesty answered the lady nay i will not trouble your little heathen sultan to go so far still it strikes me that chiffinch said you had company some country cousin or such a matter is there not such a person there is a young person from the country said mistress chiffinch striving to conceal a considerable portion of embarrassment but she is unprepared for such an honour as to be admitted into your majesty's presence and and therefore the fitter to receive it chiffinch there is nothing in nature so beautiful as the first blush of a little rustic between joy and fear and wonder and curiosity it is the down on the peach pity it decays so soon the fruit remains but the first high colouring and exquisite flavour are gone never put up thy lip for the matter chiffinch for it is as i tell you so pray let us have la belle cousine mistress chiffinch more embarrassed than ever again advanced towards the door of communication which she had been in the act of opening when his majesty entered but just as she coughed pretty loudly perhaps as a signal to some one within 
voices were again heard in a raised tone of altercation the door was flung open and alice rushed out of the inner apartment followed to the door of it by the enterprising duke of buckingham who stood fixed with astonishment on finding his pursuit of the flying fair one had hurried him into the presence of the king alice bridgenorth appeared too much transported with anger to permit her to pay attention to the rank or character of the company into which she had thus suddenly entered i remain no longer here madam she said to mrs chiffinch in a tone of uncontrollable resolution i leave instantly a house where i am exposed to company which i detest and to solicitations which i despise the dismayed mrs chiffinch could only implore her in broken whispers to be silent adding while she pointed to charles who stood with his eyes fixed rather on his audacious courtier than on the game which he pursued the king the king if i am in the king's presence said alice aloud and in the same torrent of passionate feeling while her eyes sparkled through tears of resentment and insulted modesty it is the better it is his majesty's duty to protect me and on his protection i throw myself these words which were spoken aloud and boldly at once recalled julian to himself who had hitherto stood as it were bewildered he approached alice and whispering in her ear that she had beside her one who would defend her with his life implored her to trust to his guardianship in this emergency clinging to his arm in all the ecstasy of gratitude and joy the spirit which had so lately invigorated alice in her own defence gave way in a flood of tears when she saw herself supported by him whom perhaps she most wished to recognise as her protector she permitted peveril gently to draw her back towards the screen before which he had been standing where holding by his arm but at the same time endeavouring to conceal herself behind him they waited the conclusion of a scene so singular the king seemed at first so much surprised at the unexpected apparition of the duke of buckingham as to pay little or no attention to alice who had been the means of thus unceremoniously introducing his grace into the presence at a most unsuitable moment in that intriguing court it had not been the first time that the duke had ventured to enter the lists of gallantry in rivalry of his sovereign which made the present insult the more intolerable his purpose of lying concealed in those private apartments was explained by the exclamations of alice and charles notwithstanding the placidity of his disposition 
and his habitual guard over his passions resented the attempt to seduce his destined mistress as an eastern sultan would have done the insolence of a vizier who anticipated his intended purchase of captive beauty in the slave-market the swarthy features of charles reddened and the strong lines on his dark visage seemed to become inflated as he said in a voice which faltered with passion buckingham you dared not have thus insulted your equal to your master you may securely offer any affront since his rank glues his sword to the scabbard the haughty duke did not brook this taunt unanswered my sword he said with emphasis was never in the scabbard when your majesty's service required it should be unsheathed your grace means when its service was required for its master's interest said the king for you could only gain the coronet of a duke by fighting for the royal crown but it is over i have treated you as a friend a companion almost an equal you have repaid me with insolence and ingratitude sire answered the duke firmly but respectfully i am unhappy in your displeasure yet thus far fortunate that while your words can confer honour they cannot impair or take it away it is hard he added lowering his voice so as only to be heard by the king it is hard that the squall of a peevish wench should cancel the services of so many years it is harder said the king in the same subdued tone which both preserved through the rest of the conversation that a wench's bright eyes can make a nobleman forget the decencies due to his sovereign's privacy may i presume to ask your majesty what decencies are those said the duke charles bit his lip to keep himself from smiling buckingham he said this is a foolish business and we must not forget as we have nearly done that we have an audience to witness this scene and should walk the stage with dignity i will show you your fault in private it is enough that your majesty has been displeased and that i have unhappily been the occasion said the duke kneeling although quite ignorant of any purpose beyond a few words of gallantry and i sue thus low for your majesty's pardon so saying he kneeled gracefully down thou hast it george said the placable prince i believe thou wilt be sooner tired of offending than i of forgiving long may your majesty live to give the offence with which it is your royal pleasure at present to charge my innocence said the duke what mean you by that my lord said charles the angry shade returning to his brow for a moment my liege replied the duke you are too honourable to deny your custom of shooting with cupid's bird-bolts in other men's warrens you have taken the royal right of free forestry over every man's park it is hard that you should be so much displeased at hearing a chance arrow whiz near your own pales 
no more on it said the king but let us see where the dove has harboured the helen has found a paris while we were quarrelling replied the duke rather an orpheus said the king and what is worse one that is already provided with a eurydice she is clinging to the fiddler it is mere fright said buckingham like rochester's when he crept into the base vial to hide himself from sir dermot o'cleaver we must make the people show their talents said the king and stop their mouths with money and civility or we shall have this foolish encounter over half the town the king then approached julian and desired him to take his instrument and cause his female companion to perform a saraband i had already the honour to inform your majesty said julian that i cannot contribute to your pleasure in the way you command me and that this young person is a retainer of the lady powis said the king upon whose mind things not connected with his pleasures made a very slight impression poor lady she is in trouble about the lords in the tower pardon me sir said julian she is a dependent of the countess of derby true true answered charles it is indeed of lady derby who hath also her own distresses in these times do you know who taught the young person to dance some of her steps mightily resemble lejeunes of paris i presume she was taught abroad sir said julian for myself i am charged with some weighty business by the countess which i would willingly communicate to your majesty we will send you to our secretary of state said the king but this dancing envoy will oblige us once more will she not empson now that i remember it was to your pipe that she danced strike up man and put metal into her feet empson began to play a well-known measure and as he had threatened made more than one false note until the king whose ear was very accurate rebuked him with sirrah art thou drunk at this early hour or must thou too be playing thy slippery tricks with me thou thinkest thou art born to beat time but i will have time beat into thee the hint was sufficient and empson took good care so to perform his air as to merit his high and deserved reputation but on fenella it made not the slightest impression she rather leaned than stood against the wall of the apartment her countenance as pale as death her arms and hands hanging down as if stiffened and her existence only testified by the sobs which agitated her bosom and the tears which flowed from her half-closed eyes a plague on it said the king some evil spirit is abroad this morning and the wenches are all bewitched i think cheer up my girl what in the devil's name has changed thee at once from a nymph to a niob if thou standest there longer thou wilt grow to the very marble wall or odds fish george have you been bird-bolting in this quarter also ere buckingham could answer to this charge julian again kneeled down to the king and prayed to be heard were it only for five minutes 
the young woman he said has been long in attendance of the countess of derby she was bereaved of the faculties of speech and hearing odds fish man and dances so well said the king nay all gresham college shall never make me believe that i would have thought it equally impossible but for what i to-day witnessed said julian but only permit me sir to deliver the petition of my lady the countess and who art thou thyself man said the sovereign for though everything which wears bodice and breast-knot has a right to speak to a king and be answered i know not that they have a title to audience through an envoy extraordinary i am julian peveril of derbyshire answered the supplicant the son of sir geoffrey peveril of martindale castle who body of me the old worcestershire man said the king odds fish i remember him well some harm has happened to him i think is he not dead or very sick at least ill at ease and it pleased your majesty but not ill in health he has been imprisoned on account of an alleged accession to this plot look you there said the king i knew he was in trouble and yet how to help the stout old knight i can hardly tell i can scarce escape suspicion of the plot myself though the principal object of it is to take away my own life were i to stir to save a plotter i should certainly be brought in as an accessory buckingham thou hast some interest with those who built this fine state engine or at least who have driven it on be good-natured for once though it is scarcely thy wont and interfere to shelter our old worcestershire friend sir godfrey have you not forgot him no sir answered the duke for i never heard the name it is sir geoffrey his majesty would say said julian and if his majesty did say sir geoffrey master peveril i cannot see of what use i can be to your father replied the duke coldly he is accused of a heavy crime and a british subject so accused can have no shelter either from prince or peer but must stand to the award and deliverance of god and his country now heaven forgive thee thy hypocrisy george said the king hastily i would rather hear the devil preach religion than thee teach patriotism thou knowest as well as i that the nation is in a scarlet fever for fear of the poor catholics who are not two men to five hundred and that the public mind is so harassed with new narrations of conspiracy and fresh horrors every day that people have as little real sense of what is just or unjust as men who talk in their sleep of what is sense or nonsense i have borne and borne with it i have seen blood flow on the scaffold fearing to thwart the nation in its fury and i pray to god that i or mine be not called on to answer for it i will no longer swim with the torrent which honour and conscience call upon me to stem i will act the part of a sovereign and save my people from doing injustice even in their own despite charles walked hastily up and down the room 
as he expressed these unwonted sentiments with energy equally unwonted after a momentary pause the duke answered him gravely spoken like a royal king sir but pardon me not like a king of england charles paused as the duke spoke beside a window which looked full on whitehall and his eye was involuntarily attracted by the fatal window of the banqueting-house out of which his unhappy father was conducted to execution charles was naturally or more purposely constitutionally brave but a life of pleasure together with the habit of governing his course rather by what was expedient than by what was right rendered him unapt to dare the same scene of danger or of martyrdom which had closed his father's life and reign and the thought came over his half-formed resolution like the rain upon a kindling beacon in another man his perplexity would have seemed almost ludicrous but charles would not lose even under these circumstances the dignity and grace which were as natural to him as his indifference and good-humour our council must decide in this matter he said looking to the duke and be assured young man he added addressing julian your father shall not want an intercessor in his king so far as the laws will permit my interference in his behalf julian was about to retire when fenella with a marked look put into his hand a slip of paper on which she had hastily written the packet give him the packet after a moment's hesitation during which he reflected that fenella was the organ of the countess's pleasure julian resolved to obey permit me then sire he said to place in your royal hands this packet entrusted to me by the countess of derby the letters have already been once taken from me and i have little hope that i can now deliver them as they are addressed i place them therefore in your royal hands certain that they will evince the innocence of the writer the king shook his head as he took the packet reluctantly it is no safe office you have undertaken young man a messenger has sometimes his throat cut for the sake of his dispatches but give them to me and chiffinch give me wax and a taper he employed himself in folding the countess's packet in another envelope buckingham he said you are evidence that i do not read them till the council shall see them buckingham approached and offered his services in folding the parcel but charles rejected his assistance and having finished his task he sealed the packet with his own signet ring the duke bit his lip and retired and now young man said the king your errand is sped so far as it can at present be forwarded julian bowed deeply as to take leave at these words which he rightly interpreted as a signal for his departure alice bridgenorth still clung to his arm and motioned to withdraw along with him the king and buckingham looked at each other in conscious astonishment and yet not without a desire to smile so strange did it seem to them that a prize for which an instant before 
they had been mutually contending should thus glide out of their grasp or rather be borne off by a third and very inferior competitor mistress chiffinch said the king with a hesitation which he could not disguise i hope your fair charge is not about to leave you certainly not your majesty answered chiffinch alice my love you mistake that opposite door leads to your apartments pardon me madam answered alice i have indeed mistaken my road but it was when i came hither the errant damsel said buckingham looking at charles with as much intelligence as etiquette permitted him to throw into his eye and then turning it towards alice as she still held by julian's arm is resolved not to mistake her road a second time she has chosen a sufficient guide and yet stories tell that such guides have led maidens astray said the king alice blushed deeply but instantly recovered her composure so soon as she saw that her liberty was likely to depend upon the immediate exercise of resolution she quitted from a sense of insulted delicacy the arm of julian to which she had hitherto clung but as she spoke she continued to retain a slight grasp of his cloak i have indeed mistaken my way she repeated still addressing miss chiffinch but it was when i crossed this threshold the usage to which i have been exposed in your house has determined me to quit it instantly i will not permit that my young mistress answered mrs chiffinch until your uncle who placed you under my care shall relieve me of the charge of you i will answer for my conduct both to my uncle and what is of more importance to my father said alice you must permit me to depart madam i am free-born and you have no right to detain me pardon me my young madam said mistress chiffinch i have a right and i will maintain it too i will know that before quitting this presence said alice firmly and advancing a step or two she dropped on her knee before the king your majesty said she if indeed i kneel before king charles is the father of your subjects of a good many of them said the duke of buckingham apart i demand protection of you in the name of god and of the oath your majesty swore when you placed on your head the crown of this kingdom you have my protection said the king a little confused by an appeal so unexpected and so solemn do but remain quiet with this lady with whom your parents have placed you neither buckingham nor any one else shall intrude on you his majesty added buckingham in the same tone and speaking from the restless and mischief-making spirit of contradiction which he never could restrain even when indulging it was most contrary not only to propriety but to his own interest his majesty will protect you fair lady from all intrusion save what must not be termed such alice darted a keen look on the duke as if to read his meaning another on charles to know whether she had guessed it rightly there was a guilty confession on the king's brow 
which confirmed alice's determination to depart your majesty will forgive me she said it is not here that i can enjoy the advantage of your royal protection i am resolved to leave this house if i am detained it must be by violence which i trust no one dare offer to me in your majesty's presence this gentleman whom i have long known will conduct me to my friends we make but an indifferent figure in the scene methinks said the king addressing the duke of buckingham and speaking in a whisper but she must go i neither will nor dare stop her from returning to her father and if she does swore the duke internally i would as sir andrew smith saith i might never touch fair lady's hand and stepping back he spoke a few words with empson the musician who left the apartment for a few minutes and presently returned the king seemed irresolute concerning the part he should act under circumstances so peculiar to be foiled in a gallant intrigue was to subject himself to the ridicule of his gay court to persist in it by any means which approached to constraint would have been tyrannical and what perhaps he might judge as severe an imputation it would have been unbecoming a gentleman upon my honour young lady he said with an emphasis you have nothing to fear in this house but it is improper for your own sake that you should leave it in this abrupt manner if you will have the goodness to wait but a quarter of an hour mistress chiffinch's coach will be placed at your command to transport you where you will spare yourself the ridicule and me the pain of seeing you leave the house of one of my servants as if you were escaping from a prison the king spoke in good-natured sincerity and alice was inclined for an instant to listen to his advice but recollecting that she had to search for her father and uncle or failing them for some suitable place of secure residence it rushed on her mind that the attendants of mistress chiffinch were not likely to prove trusty guides or assistance in such a purpose firmly and respectfully she announced her purpose of instant departure she needed no other escort she said than what this gentleman master julian peveril who was well known to her father would willingly afford her nor did she need that farther than until she had reached her father's residence farewell then lady a god's name said the king i am sorry so much beauty should be wedded to so many shrewish suspicions for you master peveril i should have thought you had enough to do with your own affairs without interfering with the humours of the fair sex the duty of conducting all strayed damsels into the right path is as matters go in this good city rather to weighty an undertaking for your youth and inexperience julian eager to conduct alice from a place of which he began fully to appreciate the perils answered nothing to this taunt but bowing reverently led her from the apartment her sudden appearance and the animated scene which followed 
had entirely absorbed for the moment the recollection of his father and of the countess of derby and while the dumb attendant of the latter remained in the room a silent and as it were stunned spectator of all that had happened peveril had become in the predominating interest of alice's critical situation totally forgetful of her presence but no sooner had he left the room without noticing or attending to her than fenella starting as from a trance drew herself up and looked wildly around like one waking from a dream as if to assure herself that her companion was gone and gone without paying the slightest attention to her she folded her hands together and cast her eyes upwards with an expression of such agony as explained to charles as he thought what painful ideas were passing in her mind this peveril is a perfect pattern of successful perfidy carrying off this queen of the amazons but he has left us i think a disconsolate ariadne in her place but weep not my princess of pretty movements he said addressing himself to fenella if we cannot call in bacchus to console you we will commit you to the care of empson who shall drink with lieber potter for a thousand pounds and i will say done first as the king spoke these words fenella rushed past him with her wonted rapidity of step and with much less courtesy than was due to the royal presence hurried downstairs and out of the house without attempting to open any communication with the monarch he saw her abrupt departure with more surprise than displeasure and presently afterwards bursting into a fit of laughter he said to the duke odds fish george this young spark might teach the best of us how to manage the wenches i have had my own experience but i could never yet contrive either to win or lose them with so little ceremony experience sir replied the duke cannot be acquired without years true george and you would i suppose insinuate said charles that the gallant who acquires it loses as much in youth as he gains in art i defy your insinuation george you cannot overreach your master old as you think him either in love or politics you have not the secret plumere la poule sans la fair crier witness this morning's work i will give you odds at all games ay and at the mall too if thou darest accept my challenge chiffinch what for dost thou convulse thy pretty throat and face with sobbing and hatching tears which seem rather unwilling to make their appearance it is for fear whined chiffinch that your majesty should think that you should expect that i should expect gratitude from a courtier or faith from a woman answered the king patting her at the same time under the chin to make her raise her face tush chicken i am not so superfluous there it is now said chiffinch continuing to sob the more bitterly as she felt herself unable to produce any tears i see your majesty is determined to lay all the blame on me 
when i am innocent as an unborn babe i will be judged by his grace no doubt no doubt chiffy said the king his grace and you will be excellent judges in each other's cause and as good witnesses in each other's favour but to investigate the matter impartially we must examine our evidence apart my lord duke we meet at the mall at noon if your grace dare accept my challenge his grace of buckingham bowed and retired End of chapter 31